0: briefly about Dr. Spielberg. First, first of all, he is not the film director, so, uh, so that's the first thing. But the other is that we're very proud to have him part of our firm. He has had an exceptional career on the regulatory side and the FDA, but he was, uh, he's had a credible career where he was the dean of the Dartmouth Medical School. Uh, he also was the head of pediatric uh, drug uh, research at j and as well as being a really an extraordinary pediatric uh, physician. Uh, I like to joke that all of us aspire to be good at least one career, uh, and, uh, and Dr. Spielberg has been good at least four, so, uh, so we, we, there's no way to catch up. So with that, though, Dr. Spielberg is going to conduct a uh, fireside chat with, uh, with Peter Marks and ask him some questions around the issue of the impact that the pandemic has had on the FDA, but also on the biopharma industry. So go ahead, Dr.
1: Spielberg. Thanks, Peter. And uh, Peter Marks, that was wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, A a great summary. And and I have to tell you as as a pediatrician and as a geneticist, um, your examples in in gene therapy were were really right on. Uh, And I must admit, just editorializing a little bit, Your comments about creating a playbook um, of how to approach gene therapy for rare diseases and maybe not quite so rare diseases um, is is absolutely right. I mean, the complexities that we're dealing with, uh, this is a, a team sport. Uh, for sure. Uh, and I was I was delighted having been on NIH Council for NCATS, uh, that the, there's the association with NCATS looking at new technologies, trying to validate things as you go forward. And the, the question about vaccines, again, um, the most wonderful thing about having been a physician for 45 years is realizing how iteratively you continuously learn, you continuously modify your approaches, and hopefully get to better approaches. Uh, one one of the things I'm curious about, Peter, because you know, I the, the COVID pandemic has has changed the way we do everything. You know, For goodness sakes, we're, we're, we're sitting on our computers here instead of being together at a meeting in New York, just as a simple example. Um, but everything from every company to um, their uh, co-sponsors to their marketplace has remarkably changed in ways we couldn't have even imagined. And um, I, I, I suppose um, uh, our, our, our younger son, who actually started a company in the midst of all this, keeps telling me those who survive are gonna be the most nimble and creative. Uh, and that's probably true, yeah. um, a little bit beyond us. But within the agency, with all that you're struggling with, uh, it sounds like in many ways on the gene therapy side, you're asking the right questions. And I hope you have the right numbers and quality of people to be able to prosecute that whole agenda forward. But are there other lessons you've learned internally, everything from lack of travel? How do you monitor trials? How do you monitor manufacturing? How do you monitor internationally? are they things that have come out that really you consider to be creative leading edge things that FDA is trying to do to assure its mission in the future?
2: Yeah, so I think there there's almost I, there's enough different things that I'll just try to pick an example from different categories, kind of a, a, a menu approach of one from column A, one from column B. <laughs> um, uh, so one of the things that became really apparent uh, is that um, our previous and this this is again kind of nerdy, but it's it's it is it is uh, something very important to me. Our previous way of developing guidance around the agency is we would people would get together week after week, you know, and this would it would take us months to years to develop guidance around an area. Um, what we've learned during this COVID-19 pandemic is you can actually systematize that so that you have an owner who puts a draft down, you have a few sessions to actually discuss that uh, draft, you settle on where you're going, and you get out guidance. And if you need to, you alter, you know, you don't, it, what, what, perfect is the enemy of good. We've, we've had to alter guidance. Yeah. Um, and instead of having something not get out for months and months and months, it gets out when it needs to be there. And then if it needs to change, we just change it. And so I think how we do guidance will be, well, at least in my center, and I think in others as well, will be forever changed after this. So that's guidance.
1: I think- And, and that's probably to- critical. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we all know that the whole heart of science is it changes. And it used to change once every 500 years, yeah. <laughs> and then once every several years. It's changing hourly now. It's a real challenge, but that's a tremendously valid point. And yeah. I and I hope I, the I, public can appreciate that yeah, too.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean that that's that's why I say it's kind of nerdy. It's a, it, it it it
2: it does make for, for industry. It makes a difference to be able to be nimble there. Something the public make may appreciate more is that I think we understand now that. Participating in clinical trials is an imposition on people. And to the extent that we can start using our technologies, wearables, remote monitoring to, to decrease the burden for participating in trials, we think that's a good thing. I mean, for trials that, trials that relied more of those to begin with. Right. We're doing much better in the pandemic than trials that required Mm -hmm. in hospital visits, particularly when clinics closed. So Mm -hmm. I think you'll see us move towards um, and and it won't just be I think it won't just be um, wearables, those types of things. It might also be the actual design of the trials themselves, where I think we may start to see more pragmatic trials with less burden on on people. So they, we have more participants in trials. I think that's also something we're learning from, from many trials going on during COVID-19, which is the trials that are successful are the ones that are somewhat more pragmatic that don't require a tremendous amount of assessment because assessment's hard to do in the middle of a pandemic. Um, they're the ones where, uh, the patients can report self-report in a diary. Uh, there can be simple, uh, measures that doctors can uh, can see or other healthcare providers can see. So I think that also will be something that will come out of out of this. Um, and then I think the final thing that that's uh, that will come out of this is that we're just all around uh, in the country will need to take a look at what our manufacturing capacity is uh, for pharmaceuticals and really start to take it to the next level. Um, uh, because everything is being taxed um, to the max and I'm not sure that we've seen uh, uh, the stress test the the most significant stress test yet I think the next couple months may may bring us to new levels of, of stress but we'll see I hope I'm wrong many things about this pandemic I've, I really hope I'm wrong about
1: Peter in, in, in that regard you know we you know there's been lots of discussion over the last year about supply chains uh everything from availability of api to availability of excipients uh the the ability to do quality uh assessment and monitoring of those things when uh, products are coming from abroad or coming from multiple new manufacturers um what wh- where are you with respect to those issues
2: Yeah, so we're trying to do our best in in, in a situation where we're limited, right? We're trying not to have to send... The the goal is not to have to send people into harm's way. Um, And so we're doing our best with essentially desk audits, looking at paper that we can get from materials, leveraging leveraging information we can get from uh, local inspectors that are going into places um, uh, and... uh, Uh, looking at inspectional histories in other words some places we might have not have inspected exactly the product in question but we inspected another product at that facility and they had a clean bill of health so by inference Um, so we're we're trying to use everything at our at our means this is a challenging area though Um, uh, and you know for certain things we're we feel really obligated to, for instance, COVID-19 vaccines. We've been making site visits as need be um, uh, to, uh, uh, to make sure we're comfortable. But um, it's very challenging because, uh, you know, anytime you send people out into the field now, um, there is a significant chance, and it's happened, that they will get, uh, they will be exposed to COVID-19, and that leads to a whole nother you know, set of issues.
1: You know, I I haven't seen my physician in, well, this year Uh, and I've done a couple of telemed things uh, and I've actually been impressed as he has, he's a senior guy, he's been in medicine a long time, uh, about how to acquire information he did not think was acquirable prior to this using electronics. Have you done Zoom audits? I'm just curious.
2: Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're exploring it. We actually are. And I think that's that's a really exciting, it's, it's something uh, that is useful. The concern is for, here, here's, here's, here's the problem with Zoom audits. For the honest, Zoom audits would be great, right? Because they take <laughs> you to all places around their facility, including the ones that they might have a little bit of concern about. The yeah. problem is that, that there's no substitute for a human like sticking around, you know. I, I mean, I guess. I guess what you'd have to do with a Zoom audit is you'd have to tell them, please send us the architectural diagram of your facility, and now we're gonna go around, <laughs> Where are you
1: gonna right, go? right,
2: everyone. Um, and maybe that's actually. You know what? You might wanna. You might wanna uh, mark down that we thought of that one here um uh, but um, i hope i
1: hope some good comes out of a meeting
2: like yeah well but but your point is we we have been thinking we have been been exploring this and we have done some zoom issues that the issue has been this concern about whether you know someone would point the camera away from i'm all kidding aside you know whether it be possible to cover up things again it's not a problem for those who are honest and who want to have quality improvement. But unfortunately, um, we know at FDA, unfortunately, because we have a lot of uh, products, that there are some out there uh, that will do Things that are less than fully transparent. Mm, I I'm trying to. I, I'm not good at using you for me. Yeah. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> Got the point. Well, in 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 that regard, I, I I know the agency has come out with a guidance rather rapidly um, on uh, cybersecurity and remote monitoring issues. Um, have you developed any experience around that? You know, uh, you know, I don't know hackability of wearables or whatever that, that might both from a patient perspective lead to questions by patients um, where you could uh, hopefully provide a, a, an additional degree of confidence uh, or um, uh, has there been anything in that realm that you're aware
2: of? You know, I, I can't say that I'm aware of anything on the negative side, but I can tell you that the Center for Devices and Radiologic Health has a group that is committed. They, they're basically devoted to dealing with this issue because it's become an increasingly, uh, one of increasing concern, right? I mean, I mean just think about, you know, you know and, and, and people out who are listening may think, what are these guys talking about, like hacking my watch? No, the problem is hacking my AICD, my automated uh, internal, uh, you know, uh, converted defibrillator. You, you yeah. don't want somebody uh, exactly. uh, to be shocking your heart um, uh, because they've hacked into your uh, your cardioverter. Um, uh, uh, so, um, you know, or your pacemaker for that matter and changing the weight mm-hmm. um, or turning it off. Um, so... Uh, these are things that actually are important, uh, and and you know, you would think that nobody would try to do sinister stuff like this, but unfortunately, if it can be done, people seem to try it.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Dr. Spielberg, last uh, last question to stay on, try to stay on time.
1: Okay. No, I, I I was cognizant of that, Peter. I was looking at my clock on the wall and yeah. realized we got to move. Yeah. Uh, uh, Oh, um, have you heard much um, uh, from sponsors uh, with respect to their ability to prosecute clinical trials at clinical trial sites? Mm -hmm. Um, I know uh, I've talked to colleagues who have clinical trials at their sites who tell me you know, their colleagues don't have time to get an extra vial of blood mm-hmm. in the ICU, uh, et cetera. Uh, and any thoughts about how to deal with that in a creative way? Yeah, this is, this is really gonna, I think, be one
2: of the things that when we, I, I, I suspect we'll start to come out of this winter, uh, hopefully starting to see COVID-19 fading as we come into next summer. And unfortunately, I think when we look back, we're going to see a lot of trials which have been. I, I've heard from some some trials. The more pragmatic trials have been able to kind of kind of get by, but ones that have required lots of some trials require biopsy procedures or multiple blood draws, yeah. and some of those have fallen off. And, and And because there's so much disorganization here due to the pandemic, I don't know. It's going to be a little bit like a hurricane where until until the, the you know the wind's clear and the sky is is clear again we might not know for some of these trials how badly they've been affected um, our own center is going to probably put in a in, into place as we come into spring kind of an evaluation process to help people figure out you know what can you what can you salvage from your trial um, because through these gene therapy trials where you got it where you can't redose we need to try to salvage as much as we can. Yeah. But there are other trials as well.
1: Yeah, so, listen, Pe- Peter, since that was my last question, yes. I just wanna thank you and all your colleagues at FDA. Uh, you're keeping us going through a very difficult time and just know it's appreciated deeply.
0: Yeah, and I, really I, I would it. bear that. And I wanna thank you so much for agreeing to speak. This is such an important topic, and the work that you're doing is so important. And uh, and and I think your sharing your perspectives has been very valuable to everyone who is attending. I also want to say that, you know, uh, I hope you're getting more than three hours of sleep. But, but my guess is that's not uh, that's not true. But I, I do think that one of the things that I think will result from all of this is we will reach an end, but also there'll be a great deal of respect for the FDA and its work. And if, and one thing's for sure is as much as the pharmaceutical industry has pummeled, been pummeled in terms of its image, the, the one, one positive about the pandemic is that it has created sort of a ray of sunlight to say, you know, this industry is important and it can do great things for society. Uh, it, you know, it, it's a very short list of things that are positive about pandemic, but I think that is one of them but the FDA's work is clearly part of that. So I wanna thank you so much for that. Thank you very much. Thanks so
2: much for having me today. Okay, great. Take care.